Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Money Mitch Effect. Mitch Michaels here, your host of the sports podcast, and we do have a great show planned for you today. Going to talk back with the Panda, Ian Dunn, two weeks after our fateful, or maybe it's notorious, French Open picks. We recap how the draw's gone on the eve, or if you're listening to it the day of, the day of the semifinals for both the men's and the women's. Weather would have it so that both semifinals are played on the same day, Friday in Paris. Nadal Federer, Djokovic team. On the men's side, a lot of upsets on the women's side. Anisimova, Barty, Vondrasova, and Kanta. We break all that down. And then I talked to my buddy Tyler Tesson, and we posted this right as Game 5 is about to drop. Puck drop going on St. Louis and Boston. He's a St. Louis man, and we will talk Blues and Bruins, how we got to 2-2, who's got the edge going forward to the final games of this series, and who will hoist the cup. Tyler Tesson, but first, it's Ian Dunn, the Panda, on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, we're back two weeks later after some predictions. Ian Dunn, Panda back on the Money Mitch Effect French Open recap and some good ones and some horrendous ones. Oh, man, I didn't think you'd have me back after some of those picks, man. I want to give you credit for nailing the uh, nailing the men's semis. Yeah, Real hey. big accomplishment, one to four. Broken clock is right <laughs> twice a day, baby. <laughs> but yeah, one through four, man. Sometimes chalk works. It does, it does, and uh, some of those picks we're gonna get. We're gonna get into exactly how it happened with the men later, but the women we got to start because there will be no French Open championship for Belinda Benchich, who I can't even remember what day she got eliminated uh, in. I think it was day four and got bageled in a third, just tearing Yastrzemska, my heart out. Yastrzemska did as well. She well, she got bageled in a third by uh, yeah, a couple of bagels there, man. That's yeah. uh, well, Yastrzemska. So to be fair, she, she the next Chucky day, sticks yeah, took out Yastrzemska. She uh, had played a long three set final. The day after we made the last prediction, so you know I'm gonna blame it on that long, long transition. How about not taking care of business early, because she should have finished Laura Siegman, oh, and that had extended it was the next day, and then after that she might feel a little tired and uh, just got annihilated. Yeah, just brutalized out there. I mean, Belinda, we were, we were right. Great about bag that. check. Yeah, great bag <laughs> check. One of the better <laughs> bag checks out there. Uh, that quarter kind of exploded. You know, she she had a chance if she would have, you know, beaten Chucky Naps. Yeah, Donna Vekic is who took her out. Kanta is in the semis, which is incredible. She never won a match at Roland Garros. It's the uh, Ostapenko formula. So next year I'm just going <laughs> to bet on everybody that's never won a match there. Yeah, that's all and you I, need. And I'll have a chance. Uh, I, I think, you know what, before we, before we get into, like, the draw, I do want to talk about some of the hits and misses of some picks. Some individual matches yeah. that didn't really work out. Uh, R.I.P. Not in real life, but in the draw. The Tommy Fabs lost his oh, first match. Oh boy, Tommy Fabs, um, fan favorite. Fan favorite. The loss that really hurt uh, hurt me personally, <laughs> monetarily personally. Yeah, yeah. Was uh, Kane Ish beating uh, Benny from the block? Benoit Pair, man, that just pair up a break in the fifth, mm. man. Mm. A, that's that's a tough way to lose a bet, my man. Yeah, let alone yeah. a match. But tough I way mean, to lose a bet. you lose a fifth set match to Kate freaking Nishikori, a two day match. You're in your home country. He'll never have been. He'll never be cheered like that ever again. He's no. the last French guy in. No, uh, that was a tough one. On the women's side, Sloan. I mean, going out to Kanta. Now I did fall victim to the Sloan coaster, but <laughs> usually it's like okay, she gets up for a person that's already beaten her, but Kanta just owns her. Kanta's just kind of revitalized her clay game. Really, she's. She's played unbelievable this tournament. Kind of kind of led in with a, a great roam, you know, and I don't know, she just kept it going. It's it's kinda of crazy for somebody that really had no clay wins the past few years, that of note at least. Almost won what was that, Rabat? Where she played Sakari was up yep. and kinda of faltered, but Steph started it, had a run in Rome, I mean, kept it going and yep. uh, now look at her in the semis and, and you know the favorite in that match. Unreal. I mean, <laughs> so the high. I think the highest seed left, maybe. Barty. Barty. Yeah. yeah. So well, Barty. Yeah. Barty's yeah. going to be in the top four. Already. Yeah. Well, I think that's. We can talk about the women's side and, and Barty being the only one of these four ladies that we maybe not expected, but thought was a realistic possibility to be here. I actually did pick her to go to the semis and then bow out, but 
You had it, man. It's the only uh, one I got right. Yeah. But a lot of people got zero right. So Lombardi's been one of the more consistent players on tour this year. I think you know winning Miami this year really helped her confidence. And we see tennis so often it's just about confidence going into a tournament or playing yourself into a tournament. She's got the game, man. She can beat anybody with even not her best tennis. So what what's not to like about Ash Barty? Ash Barty. It's a Barty party every time she's out there. And honestly... On clay might be her best surface. She said she's been learning how to play clay every time she's played tennis. Every day she's played tennis. With her ability to move out there with points lasting longer, with her fitness, which has never looked better, what a difference a year makes. She was the Serena last year in the third in the yeah, third round yeah. and now is into the semis. Also want to point out something else. If you're into uh, superstitions or if you're into trends at home, last year it, I've gone to the Sunday night Indian Wells session. <laughs> On main court every time. <laughs> Last year, late night match, Naomi Osaka, oh. rising star, took off. This year, Ash Barty, oh, rising the, star, The money Mitch off. effect, if it you really will. It really is. Hey, hey, it needed Wells effect, too. Put whoever they put on Sunday night center yep. court. That's all it takes. Just, that's it. It's coming. But no, Barty's been amazing. Really, really thorough job in uh, taking out keys. Kennan gave her the toughest match of the tournament, and of winners of this tournament, of just maybe not obviously winning the tournament, but who's made the biggest impact in spring pull, springboarded their career. Sophia Kennan is right there. Oh, man, you beat Serena in a Grand Slam at any point, and you're having a great season. I mean, Serena's not Serena anymore, but there's, that's still a big name, and for a young American to go up, that's tough. How about beating her when there isn't drama, when you're clearly the best player on yeah. the court? Yeah. When Serena doesn't beat herself, when you just beat her, because that's what Kennedy just go did. out there and stomp her, and that was that was impressive. That was one of the more impressive matches of the tournament, I think. Kennedy did get that break, not having to play Andrescu. I would have liked to see that match, but that's the way one Kenan, we picked out, that was one we picked out early. The way Kennedy was playing, a beat up Andrescu was not going to beat her on clay. No, no, I don't think so. Serena, which is probably why she pulled out. It probably was. Saw the writing on the wall, but yep. then Kennedy getting bagel in that third set to Barty, but going three. Serena is just, well, She's it's not going to happen on clay. Like, let's just no, put that No, it's never going to happen there. That's nev- it's never going to be her best surface. I mean, she's got, she, she can play on every surface, but. Grass is going to be the one where it's kind of like Federer. Where just the serve, man. She's the got serve. the best serve in the game. I don't, should we, should we say that she might not ever play the French Open again? Because it sounded like she wasn't thrilled to be coming back. Yeah, well, with the whole controversy with team afterwards, you know, maybe she won't come back. I put, <laughs> all right, we, we do have to address this. Uh, I put a lot of this, most of this blame on the French Tennis Federation for yeah. not saying cool your jets and hold your horses. I don't think Serena demanded. I, I get why team is pissed off. It's ridiculous. And for you're sure. after, and you're basically asked to move in the middle of a press conference. Um, but I also, I don't think Serena necessarily demanded he leave. I think she basically said, I'm going to go if I can't get in there right away. They yeah. say, well, you need to be in the bigger room. You're Serena Williams. Say, look, wait or leave and then yeah, we'll find you. Yeah, three minutes. Team had already finished his English question. Call he her would... bluff and be like, okay, if you want to leave, leave. You'll just get fined. It's yeah. whatever you want to do. Yeah, well, it's up to you. I mean, it's definitely on the French Tennis Federation. But she definitely has this reputation now that's got a I'm lot of evidence. I'm glad the team said something, man. I'm glad because... I would be so upset if that happened to me. I'm the, I'm the finalist of last year. I'm, I'm a, the top four seeds. Like, you can't just kick me out of my press conference because you lost and want to go. The fact that he even left, some players might not have even left. They might have it's just ridiculous. <laughs> Does every Austrian sound like Arnold Schwarzenegger? They do. They do. Forever. I thought it was just me. Hey, there's a better. It's a great. I mean, it's the governor. Uh, no, there's just Serena, when she loses, can be short-fused, wants to get in and out of the media room. Yeah. Agree with Fedman, you got to respect the policy there. And I thought there was maybe a little subtle dig there with the Hal of Delpo. A little bit. Kind of a little embracing and like, oh, wouldn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> but anyway, Serena just not really uh, not really going to do it on clay. Grass is no. a different story. It's cool she's going to take a wild card maybe at a grass court event. That'd be amazing. Hey, the more Serena we get, the better it is for the sport just to see how she does against the up-and-comers, you know? She's still got the game, still has the serve. And it'd be a great story if she ended up winning another major. It would, it would, but I don't know that the smart money's on that anymore. It's possible, but no longer the 
the Golden State Warriors of tennis. Like, no longer just a betting favorite. Every Would you say 50-50, higher or lower, that she wins a major again before she retires? Because you also got to consider when she wants to retire. How many more majors will she play? I'll go out on a limb and say she doesn't win another one. I said no last year, and I'm liking it more and more. Yeah. But good draw opens up for her. You never know. I don't think she's necessarily got the game to run the gauntlet. She's going to need some yeah. help, but it could definitely happen. She definitely is the all-time greatest. So we'll okay. see. All right, Ian Dunn, Money Mitch Effect. Can't stop us now. Can't stop us now. Any Samova. Wow. Future is now. Wow. 17-year-old, man. I think the first teenage semifinalist at a Grand Slam since Venus? I think that no, they're... First 17-year-old in the yeah, semifinals that's, that's since true. Venus? Is that what that's it is? That's true. Yeah, uh, that's... Because Wozy and, Wozy and, like, remember Wickmire had that US oh, Open like a while ago where they were both semis. Yeah. Wozy, I think, was so, runner-up. So the first so. 17-year-old since Venus. Venus is a pretty big name. She, she had a pretty good career. Is Serena in there too? I think Venus Serena were because Serena won at eighteen. Yeah, but I think okay. she made her first semi at eighteen. Okay. But I mean, it's the look, Williams sisters, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's what. But we're look at what that tells you about Anna Samova, man. She's got talent. She's she hasn't lost a set the entire tournament and has played the best players in the draw. Has had a ridiculous draw to get there. Sabalenka's a tough out. Beat her in straights twice in a row. She's just wiped, Halep's a tough wiped, out. Wiped Defending champion straights. She's wiped the court with Sabalenka twice now in back-to-back majors. Yeah. The power is insane. It's weird because there's there's flashes, there's glimpses where you think this is a 17-year-old that hasn't grown into their body yet. Like yeah. a little clunky with the footwork sometimes, yep. but still getting better. It's almost like one of those like robots that's just the AI robots that's <laughs> getting smarter and learning. Adapting. I'm learning. And now she's going to just take <laughs> out the entire field. What she did to help yeah. today was unbelievably impressive and. I know Barty's the favorite in that matchup. It feels like the final based on what the draw is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. This is an interesting... I mean, it's an interesting matchup because the styles couldn't be more different. I, I just... With her game and, and how well she's doing, she's 17 years old. She's got a bright future ahead of her both on and off the court. Yep. With that money she's going to get and all those investments. Cha-ching, cha-ching, my man. Same agent as Maria Sharapova, Max Eisenbutt. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's it's all about brands now nowadays. Book deal. Book deal, baby. Book it. Yeah. It's not sugar pova, it'll no, be no. sugar uh, amne- sugar ova or something. Sugar ova. <laughs> They're uh well, it's gonna be a big showdown in USA and Australia. A lot of Aussies watching. Yeah. Absolutely. I, not all the Aussies are gonna be rooting for Aussies though. And I don't think all <laughs> the Americans will be rooting for an American. I think Barney's gotta be the people's champ, you know? I don't think anybody yeah. out there dislikes her. So grounded, so yeah. down to earth, and you know, as a former cricket player, Mitch, I don't know if you know this. I don't know that, <laughs> and I don't believe it. Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be one of the better matches of the year. It'd be fun to see Anisimova lose a set and see what she does with that. See if she can battle back because you know, she Barty hasn't will, lost a set. You know, Barty will battle if she's down a set. But yeah, Barty's Barty is like Leighton Hewitt. She's not going to give up on any point. She's going to go. It's out like a there grounded. Right? I mean, I wouldn't say grounded. I'd say like less volatile. Like yeah, she's passionate, sure. but she's not going to go absolutely nuts yeah. out there. Barty, Barty's had an unbelievable season. She came in, like I think, in the teens ranking right around there. Yeah. When she beat Halp in that pre-tournament before the Aussie, that won me over because her, her phrase was, "What? why did you get up for this match? And she said, the last time I played Simona, she gave me a belting. Nice. <laughs> it's like, okay. Crikey. Crikey. Gave me a belting. Yeah. We'll see. Well, she shows up for big matches. Yeah, she does. And Andy Samova's a tough one, though. Um, we'll see. A lot of people watching it. A lot of, yeah. a lot of Aussies invested in this one. And the other side is content. Von Jusova, who... Uh, there was another young player that no one's really talked no about that could win her first it. major. Yeah. Like, even now, even as a semifinalist, isn't that crazy? She's overshadowed. But no one's talking <laughs> about her. It's even, all, even us in our last, when we were previewing it, we had a throwaway, oh, you must be scared of Marquita Von Jusova. And we were just like, ha, ha, ha. Old school Look game. Old school game. Like, really, hands really are great. fun to watch. Hands are great. Doesn't necessarily play with the most pace on her shots. She looks like a young Petra Kvitova. The lefty, just kind of, not the power. Not the no, power. No. Maybe better movement, but I think Touches better than Kvitova phenomenal. at this age than, than Kvitova was. I'm going to say that I think the final's going to be Kanta Barty. 
And I You're think Kanta is gonna grind out. I think that's a veteran winning a match. I think yeah. that's a big time match, and the veteran finds a way to win. Six that four one. in the third, something like that. Barty and his Samova. I, I just I, Barty is gonna gonna put on her put on her running shoes, and it's gonna be in for a battle. Yeah. At this point in her career, I'm not sure Andy Samova's ready. I mean, maybe not ready for the bright lights. Maybe she'll prove us wrong. This was her first day on Shot Trade. She killed hell up. Destroyed. But now we're every match. So you've got more. Barty Conta, who's your champion? Ash. We're going. Ash, Barty. Yeah, we're doing All right. it. I like it. I'm going to go... Uh... Barty on Wayne. <laughs> oh my I'm trying God. to break you before every pick. Oh. <laughs> I'm going to go Anna Samova. And Kanta. Okay. And the 17-year-old wins the title. I wouldn't mind that. Obviously, we'll have to see Anisimova win. But I, for our little gambling purposes, that final line would be, wouldn't be be that bad. Enticing. It'd be enticing. I um, like it. I like the... And I can see Vondrasova getting past Kanta as well, but I think you're right. Kanta just a little more experienced, a uh, little more headstrong, I think. And just has a little better game at this point in her career. She's been there. She's been around the block. And I I think that'd be a really fun final. After all we've seen this tournament with seeds going down early, Burton's pulling out, all this stuff. Kanta Anasimova, I mean, that's that's a great match you want to get up for. Mm. Yeah. Anasimova all the way. Hope Belinda so. let me down. She did. But Anasimova's going to bring me to fruition, my man. Mm. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe you could uh, smash your racket and, you know. Hey, I'm all about smashing rackets, man. I think she's a fan of that, too. E- uh, easiest thing to throw <laughs> is a racket. All right. Ian Dunn, Money Mitch Effect, men's side. Oh. Shocktastic. Fed in the semis, though. Like I, I know we're going to get to the Nadal preview in a second, but yeah. we take a moment to appreciate. Just We're in this stage as, as Federer fans of appreciating just the time we have left. Yep. You know, I, I was thinking the like same a thirteen-year-old dog, like we're just happy to oh, have just, you. Oh, Sparky! I yeah, love you. Oh, who yeah, cares? The old you, mutt. Yeah. Uh, who cares? You just ran into the wall. Yeah, and <laughs> can't hear the, a word. I'm saying hit the mailman. Uh, they, you know, he didn't play this tournament for three years. Hasn't played a clay court match in that much time, and he's in the semis of the French Open. Stomping fools, too, man. He looked good every round, even against Stan. I mean, you saw how the, the level of play in the Stan Tsitsipas match. Tsitsipas did everything he could to win that match, and Stan was just a little better. And you could say maybe that took a little bit out of him for the Fed match, but Fed just showed up and played his tennis. Should have been straight sets. Fed blew all those breakpoint chances. That's the ultimate. That's how you know Federer's back when he's not blowing, getting breakpoints. Blowing breakpoint <laughs> chances. Yep. He, he's just ridiculous out there. Like it's just, yeah. There's not much more you can say about that. Um, but for him to go through his draw the way he did, I think that was a surprising part. Obviously, we can just pencil Nadal in every year to the semis and then Absolutely. most likely the final on the trophy. The other side, the fact that Chalk got there as easily as they did was a little surprising. Team yep. has been getting better. He's been picking up steam since the first round. Yep. And Djokovic, much like Fed. Joker was down a break in that against Verev in the first set well, and, and then he, rolled. That's a that. mental, mentally weak man that he's, <laughs> boy. Boy, that he's playing against. I mean, that, he double-faulted the set away. Yep. He double-faulted at least one other break away. He's... Is that not good? Is that what yeah, I'm that trying that to do? Should I not have done that? His <laughs> Verev is just a shell right now. You know, and I don't know what the answers are for him. And I know he was a dog, but he's beaten Joker on clay. He yep. should have given him more of a fight. I mean, Two that's and two in the second and third, that's not good enough. Yeah. I mean, we should we should applaud him for making the quarterfinals because forever, yeah. his whole thing was, oh, he's never made a slam quarter. Finishes he's done it two straight years at the French. 16-2 run, the Warriors style, <laughs> for, man, for Joker man. to end the match. Unreal. So I've got a stat for you, Mitch. All right. The last four times, or the last time the top four seeds made the semifinals on the men's side in a major was 2013 Australian Open. Oh, it was the OG Big Four. It was, but not really, because there was a Spaniard in the semis, and it was David Ferrer. Oh. 2013 Aussie Open. Joker ended up beating Murray. But it's crazy that it's been that Murray long. Murray beat Fed, huh? So Nadal was injured, right? Yeah. Out, yeah. Murray beat Fed 6-2 in the fifth. But I just think it's crazy that it's been six years since the top four seeds had made a, a slam semi like that. 
Well, the top, what was it? The top uh, 10 seeds all made the round of 16, I think. And, and yeah. Yeah, the top 10 all made the round of 16. That had only happened, I think, three times in the open era. First time in 40 yeah. years. It would have been all eight and a quarters if Sitsi would have beaten Stan. So it was, it, we've been saying that about the men's game, that it's top heavy. Maybe not necessarily true around the middle. It was good to see kind yeah. of the other top 10 step up. Everybody that had to defend points. Definitely, and, yeah. And do it that way did. Uh, as far as, I mean, Joker's on a 26-match Grand Slam winning streak. Pretty good. Is it, weird to say good. That, is it weird to say that I like the value of plus 170 team, though? I don't think you can count out team in this match at all. At plus 175, that's hashtag worth a fiver. Hashtag worth be worth more than that. Joker obviously deserves to be the favorite. Team's beaten him here what once, once one time. Yeah, and made the final last year. Kind of the the scoreline was a little worse than what the tennis was last year in the final for Team Nadal. It was it wasn't a blowout, even though it was straight sets. It was close. There were some good points. Team was close, and Team every single year has made quarters, lost, then made the semi and lost, then made the final and lost. So this year. Does he win? I mean, I think... He's gotten better every step Every single one. year, he's made another step. I like it. I like team over Joker. I'm picking team over Joker, yeah, I think too. That was my original pick, team over Joker. Oof. Ah, Fed Nadal, man. All right, do we talk... Should we even have the conversation about what a win would... I know Fed's a 5-1 to one underdog, which... Do you think that's happened since he got... Since he's won a major? Has he ever been a 5-1 to one dog? It's a good question. I think the only time I can think of him being a, that big of a dog and being that seated that high was when Nadal beat him in 2011. I would think that... He's coming off beating Joker and ending Joker's undefeated match streak. Yeah, he definitely wasn't that high. Yeah, I think you're right. Ever since he was probably you know, a young kid on tour. A young pup. Playing Pete Sampras at Wimbledon in the quarters. like That might have been... Yeah, that that's could probably be it. About that them. could be it. I mean... Oh, I don't know. If were to win, what that that might be the most impressive win. <laughs> it could be the most impressive win of it. It's crazy to say, but if he beats Rafa on clay at this stage, at thirty, it's going on thirty-eight years old. Easily the biggest. Rafa win maybe never looked that. better on clay. I think if he beats Nadal, it's a bigger victory than when he won the French 09. <laughs> I think it's a bigger deal. He could where not. They are. He could not, and then it, it won't even matter if he doesn't win the major, like. No, he'll. I mean, he'll rue the if he loses. He'll be pretty upset about it. But I think at this moment, it'd be one of the biggest upsets. Just the way Nadal's playing and how old Fed is, and the fact he hasn't played this tournament. I mean, I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. But to I see what uh, Fed had to say about uh, the conditions, like it could be windy, it could be rainy, yeah, there could he, be an injury. He could have Nadal, slept on the wrong side of the bed. Nadal could have irritable bowel syndrome. <laughs> <laughs> Just have to go to the bathroom every five minutes. Wouldn't it be great to see Fed act like Lucas Rasol out there, go over and smack? We some were water talking bottles. about that. I think he should bog the game down as much as oh, possible. Yeah. Try the yeah. dumbest technique. We're not saying tank away a set because you don't want to give no, Nadal no. anything, but just try everything crazy. Just go Nick Kyrgios out there. First point. Underhand serves. Throw your racket. Kick over his water bottles. Take your time serving or speed it up. Yeah. I, I think, and Fed would never do that. Break a racket, just, <laughs> first point. Yell at the umpire. <laughs> Throw a chair onto the court. <laughs> I, it would be great. It would be great theater. I think, Fed, I think Fed thinks he can win this. And he said that in his presser, like, if I... If I had made the decision to come back and was worried about playing Nadal, I wouldn't have come back. You know, I knew if I wanted to win the French, I was going to have to go through him. And that's a good thing to, to hear from somebody that's a, what, five, six-point underdog? Yeah, I think Fed's always going to have the belief that every time he steps on the court, he can win a match. It, I, but I do think on the flip side, we would all be foolish to expect him to win this match. This would be I think a, it'd be foolish to expect him to win a set. I won't go that far. David Goffin <laughs> took a set off the doll in this tournament. David the only Goffin one. Is the only one. I think Fed's got to win a set early to have any chance. If he goes down one Dick, love, two two love, there's no way he's coming back. He's got to win the first set, and I think that's always how it is in their careers. They have either guy has to win the first set to really feel like they have a chance. Now Nadal, if he loses the first. I think he's just as confident as he was. Unless he gets stomped like 6-1, 6-2. 
Which again is not gonna happen. <laughs> it was the worst final. It was 08, right? Oh, I don't even want to think about it. Oh, it was one. the worst one. Uh, but he's taking sets off of him in every other match, right, that they played, yeah. except for that one, which was the disaster. I blame the outfit, too. He's playing in that ridiculous navy. Oh, yeah, that was gross. It was disgusting. You know, At least that's... he's in the, the UPS one. This year. <laughs> I know, no, yeah. I thought he was going to drop off a package. Yeah. <laughs> no way he wins, though. The favorite bet, and there's a lot of prop bets on this, you know. It's fed. Oh, I haven't looked at the props yet. Favorite is in Dolan Straits. It's like even money. Really? I think if you if you're a value better out there, I think the best value out there is Nadal in four plus two seventy five. That's the bet I, like I would that. make. Yeah. Uh, not that I'm going to because I want Fed to win and I don't want to take blood money, but I, blood money is the best money to take, man. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I I love. I would much rather lose money and have Federer win because I'd be much happier. If Fed loses and I win like fifty bucks, I'm like, but Fed lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's like he hates. They say Nadal hates the windy conditions. Imagine Fed just pumps like a hundred grand into like putting in wind tunnels. And... <laughs> Dude, seriously, uh, like if you could, I mean, this is how much the the wind means more. I mean, obviously Fed's got all the money in the world, as does Nadal. But like Fed would, how much money would Fed realistically pay to make sure this match? If he could, <laughs> how he much would, would he pay, pay all of his winnings of the French exactly. Open? He would do anything for the perfect conditions. Win. Oh yeah, it's not about money for him. And three hundred million from Uniqlo. He's not worried about that. If you were an umpire, and I don't know, somebody just, you know, knocked on your door and said, "Hey, here's how much money would it take to be like you're going to call this one way?" And Nadal has another time violation on his serve. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean? It's at fifteen seconds left. Ah, that would be hilarious. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it would happen. See, I'm a little disappointed with the Federer fan, the real diehards like yourself, that they haven't gone full Beyonce and just attacked Nadal and his. <laughs> Family members. <laughs> well, not yet. I mean, there you are saw, plans. I know you saw that story. Yeah. What a bunch of losers. Like, oh, that's all dude. I'm going to say. That's all you need props to say, to, Props to Beyonce and all she's accomplished and all that. I know there's some level-headed fans, like all sports teams. But the, the, what, the, <laughs> most <laughs> sports teams. Um, but the diehards, I mean, just a bunch of the losers. The extremists, I call them. Terrible. Yeah. I, it, Fed fans are the same as Nadal fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no one's on that Beyonce level. No, except God, maybe no. except for maybe the the Eagles. Oh, oh. <laughs> no comment. I'm not gonna say. I'm gonna get no comment. So you think Nadal wins? Nadal team final again? So I'm gonna go with my original pick, man. Team over Nadal. Still. I went chalk and it hit for the first time in six years. I'm feeling good. Okay. Uh, again, Fed was plus three seventy to win his quarter. Not a bad bet. No. Bet Connors put that on to us. He did. He did a He's great had job. some good ones this week. He has. Um, I'm going to go team beats Nadal in the final. Fed wins one set against Nadal. Okay. But in the other three sets, doesn't win more than four games. What set does he win? One or two? Two. two. In a tie That's what I'm thinking. Two, two in a breaker. The old Wimbledon Joker matches where he just steals a second. Yep. Paris is going nuts. <laughs> <laughs> And it looks like Nadal. I mean, we'll see if team can beat him. As it stands right now, no one can get Nadal's way except the English language. <laughs> well, for me, you know. Roger met a good friend. We had the best moments of our lives on this court. Aggressivity. I learned a new word. Aggressivity. I'm up in this country. Well, you know, aggressivity. What's your pick? I'm going to go Nadal over team. And I'll say four this year. One step better. If, if I also think betting wise too and confidence wise, let's see what Fed does to Nadal. If Nadal breezes by him, and honestly, if that Djokovic team match is a war, that's not going to favor either of those no, guys. Definitely, it could be. Uh, we could be selling Djokovic short because again, we're not. I was just him, thinking that like, he could win. We haven't talk, We haven't really even talked about him. He's got to be just stewing over the fact that he's not, you know, not loved. <laughs> That's his whole thing. He just Here. wants everybody to love him, and it's like Nadal Federer, bro. It's not going to be you. He's like com- he's like Commodus and Gladiator. He may good pull, Rafa the Rafa the Merciful. Yes, good pull. Do you so say Joker makes the final and Nadal makes the final? Who do you like there? I like Nadal still. Yeah, Rafa. Joker can beat him, but he's going to have to play a lot better. Like he, he's going to have to play a very zoned-in match. Yeah. He's probably going to have to avoid that drop shot, and he's just going to have to wear him down. 
Which is easier said than done because it's yeah. Rafael Nadal. I'd take another 9-7 in the fifth. Honestly, that's... I mean, it's, it sounds foolish on the outside, but Nadal on clay is geared to just pummel people and get off the court quick. So if you're a joker, you're like, all right, we're going 40-shot rallies. Yeah, we're every gonna be time. Here. I'm keeping the ball in the court. And you know what? Nadal's serve isn't as elite as it's been. No. I know he, he, on the hard court, he, get, he talked about it in Aussie, but Joker just carved it up there. There's yeah. the mental side of it, too. Joker is the one guy, even more than Fed, that knows, okay, buddy, I can beat you consistently. Yeah. Yep. I think, just going back to Fed Nadal real quick, Nadal hasn't beaten Federer in five years. Fed's got five straight wins against him, all on hard courts. Now, Fed hasn't played Nadal on clay since he got the bigger racket. And that's sort of what's helped him step into the court and not be afraid of that spinning, whippy forehand into the backhand court for Fed. So I think that's going to be something to really look out for. Does Nadal go back to the tactics he's always gone to on clay? Fed's, you know, maybe Fed steps in even more and just starts ripping shots, ripping backhands, instead of sitting back and slicing and slicing right. and hitting a top spin into the net. That's what I'm, I'm really interested in, just seeing the technical side of that. Just to see where the guys are thinking, because Nadal's game is so focused on confidence. And mm-hmm. when he's not confident, you see it. And when he is confident, you definitely see it. Yeah. But Fed, I feel like, wavers much less in the confidence and, and can kind of get through these roller coasters within the match. And kind of, it seems to me Nadal can only play one way a lot of times. That way is the best there ever. For sure, on clay. On any one surface. Absolutely. (laughs) But I think if Fed finds a way, I mean, look, Nadal was up 3-1 in the Aussie Open final in 2017. Lost the last five games of the match. Lost the last five games. That sticks with you. It does. But on clay, it is different. Definitely different. And you have to keep that level high. Team Bagel, Nadal in the U.S. Open in a set in that epic match and lost the fifth set tie. I mean, the point being... You have to maintain a level against Nadal because yeah. he will fight as well as anyone ever. I, I'm expecting, hopefully, a good match. If Fed loses in four, it, it'll be a good thing. Hey, I'm happy right? he made like, the sentence. The greatest warm-up to Wimbledon of all time. Come on. Uh, uh, well, which probably means he pulls out a Stuttgart next week. Of course. Yeah. Either way, even if he loses. Yeah. Uh, well, we're, we're working on you. Come on, Mother Nature. Bring <laughs> us some wind. Give me some wind, baby. Some wind and maybe a little drizzle. Oh, yeah. Knock those water bottles down with that wind. That'd be Smash great. your racket. Come on, Raj. Get dirty. Let's go. All right, huge thanks again to Ian Dunn, the panda. It's always a pleasure to talk to him about tennis. When we're right, we're right. And when we're wrong, man, are we brutal. But always good to talk to him. We'll see who can hoist those trophies in Paris. And remember, we're only weeks away from Wimbledon really getting going as well. So this is the golden time of the year for tennis. Thanks again to the panda. All right. Tyler Tesson now to talk hockey, Blues Bruins. He's a St. Louis guy. We got to break down the eventful series that's been this far and see who will have the edge going forward. Some injuries, some players stepping up. Goaltending's been key. All playoffs for both teams. Who will have the edge there? Tyler Tesson breaking down the Stanley Cup Blues and Bruins now here on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the Money Mitch Effect to talk about the Stanley Cup Final, which is two games all from St. Louis. My buddy from college, Tyler Tesson. Tyler, thanks for joining the show. And, uh, yeah, thanks for fitting me in during this tense schedule in the St. Louis the scene right now with the Blues on the verge of maybe their first cup championship. No problem. Thanks for having me. Exciting times here in St. Louis. I would, uh, I would imagine, but uh, I want to just get your sense on – what it was like you were at that first home game not the one that went the blues favor but first stanley cup game in 49 years in st louis on a saturday saturday evening game it looked pretty insane and intense from the outside what was that like the day of uh, leading up to and then ultimately the game because it looked like the entire city was just absolutely buzzing yeah it was just crazy i mean the start the cheapest ticket i think on stuff earlier in the day was about a little over a thousand bucks, which, you know, for a blues game, it's just insane. And then, you know, hours before the game, you know, the whole market street was already packed and people were out there. So it was just absolutely insane. And then once you get into the game, it's probably the loudest I've ever heard the arena there. And blues came out on fire for about the first eight minutes. And then it kind of all went downhill at that point. (laughs) 
Yeah, far cry from the from the times I used to uh, scalp tickets for ten dollars outside a market, uh, and there was a lot of them at the time, about two thousand nine, two thousand ten. But Tyler, this this team in this Blues season has been interesting. It's been up and down. It's well documented that they were the worst team in hockey in January. Now they're in the Cup final, so I guess we shouldn't be too surprised that they bounce back from a game three clunker to win game four and really take over that game late in the third period. Yeah, it was, you know, everybody was kind of freaking out, but it really didn't matter if you lose by five or you lose by one. It's a loss either way. And kind of, I think Bennington has two losses after a loss this year. So he's been money anytime after a loss. So I think that helped ease some nerves and everybody had confidence coming back that hopefully it was just one dud and we'd get on the next game. Yeah, game three, what stood out to me was, and really Bennington we can talk about, it. Has he hasn't been at his best. I don't think he's had that full steal a game uh, yet in this series. Game four was a lot better down the stretch, but game three not very good. And then ultimately the, uh, the biggest difference between game three and four to me from the Blues Tower was they stayed out of the penalty box. I mean, the Bruins power play just yeah. carved them up in game three. In game four, you saw them play still pretty intense, but kind of more within the margins, not crossing the line a little bit. I know a lot's made of some of the penalty calls, and, and while I don't agree with all of them, the Blues definitely played a much smarter hockey game in Game 4, and it showed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I ultimately, I think that's the biggest difference in the series. Game 1 and 3, Blues just took way too many penalties, and with a power play that Boston has, you just cannot do that in the playoffs. And, you know, the crazy thing is 5-on-5 five five in the series, the Blues are winning 10-8 to eight right now. So if they can just stay out of the box... They've had the advantage. Yeah, and the best thing that I think the Blues have done all series consistently is really shut down that top Boston scoring line. I mean, Marchand hasn't been effective at all. Pasternak, you've barely heard his name called. Bergeron's done well on the power play, but the Blues have taken, have neutralized the top scoring line for for the Bruins. And on the flip side of that, you can say the Bruins are doing a good job with some of the top lines, with the exception of O'Reilly and his line. The Bruins have done the same thing. This is a full-on war of attrition where the depth lines are probably ultimately going to decide who wins this thing. Yeah, and I I think that's the other key for the Blues. I mean, I think the two games the Blues won, they had 40-plus hits, and that's really, I think, what helped put them over the edge with San Jose. It's just exactly like you said. It's a war of attrition, and you just wear teams down, and I think hopefully that's what can get the Blues over the hump these last few games here in the best of three because – I think you can tell with Boston's top line, they're just getting the crap beat out of them, and they want nothing to do with it at five on five. Yeah, now I will caution, as somebody that had a vested interest in that Columbus series, I was saying the exact same thing up until about midway through game <laughs> four, and that's when that top line woke up. So I know it's very good right yeah. now, but that line can turn it on very quick. One other thing I didn't mention about game three, what really opened the floodgates was challenging that offsides. And I think that's one where it was close. I know the rules said it was basically a boost player bringing it into the zone. But I think most casual fans don't realize that's a penalty if you get that wrong. So that And that led to another goal. So if that doesn't happen, I mean, who knows what. Probably still a Bruins win, but definitely opened, uh, opened up the floodgates for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and the timing of it was just, just, you know, the Bruins had the momentum going their way. They're starting to take the crowd out of it. And then you give them another power play on top of it. And then that's kind of when things really started going south. I do want to ask you on the other side, though. Uh, a lot's been made, most of it not good, about what the Blues have been doing on their power play. It hasn't really looked pretty. And do you think it's just a team going through a cold spell? Or do you think Boston's really just having their way and, and, and frustrating them? Because we, we see that time and time again where sometimes the power plays just go through rough patches, but... Sometimes they also just don't fail to adjust, which, which, if any, do you think it is? Yeah, I mean, the Blues were – I mean, they haven't been very good all playoffs on the power play. They had a couple – they switched it up versus San Jose after I think they were like 0 for 10 or something, and they had a couple quick goals. But I wouldn't say the power play was being executed that well. It was kind of just a shot on goal and get a tip in or somebody was there for the rebound. So, But, I mean, Boston's doing a great job. I mean – you can just tell they're the Blues can't even get in the zone and keep it settled. Boston's doing such a great job pressuring the Blues, so I think Boston has a lot to do with it. But 
I don't think, you know, you can say the Blues have some excellent power play either. Yeah, and the ability for Boston to, to generate and then ultimately convert on shorthanded chances like they did in Game 4. Changed a lot of momentum there. It kept Boston in that game that the Blues ultimately won. Still chatting with Tyler Tesson here on the Money Mitch Effect about the Stanley Cup Final. A lot's been made about the injuries in this series. It's affected both teams. Boston's feeling it a little bit worse right now with the Chara injury. And I can only imagine what the thought process and the pain tolerance is of trying to play with a broken jaw. Do you think he's going to be able to come back in this series? Because I'm, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't think it's even a question if it's a full-blown fracture. But even the fact that he's considering coming back with is pretty ridiculous. Yeah, I don't think he is. I think it was him not playing at all at the end of the last game. And I know he didn't practice today. So I think all indications have been that he's not playing. And I think the other thing to remember, too, I forget which game it was, he took that slap shot right off the forearm and he was just bleeding. You know, I, I think he got more than just a broken jaw he's dealing with. And then he missed a couple games in the playoffs earlier, too. Yeah, I mean, he's been dealing with a lot, as most of these players are. It was very telling, as we both know. He... he he would have played if it was just his teeth. Like, everybody knows that. He came back onto the bench, but for him not to go out there, I think it has to be something more. I, Yeah, I, it would probably maybe be a seventh game situation. I know Dunn was dealing with something similar, but it took him a very long time to get back for St. Louis. Grizzlecheck is the other one that he may be coming back for game five. I'm still not sure. The report's out that he is trying to play in game five, trying to get cleared. I don't think it's going to happen that soon. But that's maybe not Chara, but pretty pretty important for that Bruins depth back on their D-line if he can come back. Right. I know they said he skated today, but I think he, he was non-contact. So, yeah, I think that one's going to be a game-time decision. I will say, coaching in this series with Berube and Cassidy, and, and I think they've both done a solid job. They were great coaches all season. No one's really got had the advantage over the other throughout the course of the first four games. But I kind of like Cassidy's strategy, if it is true, where they're saying if both of those defensemen are out, they're just going to dress three, seven defensemen and basically just try to get through the game with 11 forwards and 7D. So I think that's something that might be smarter going with a group effort to just see. Because you know McAvoy and Kruger are going to be playing 28 minutes or so a game. Right. And the two games they've lost are the two games they lost defensemen about, you know, with at least a period or more to go. So having 5D hasn't worked out too well for them. Yeah, I, I think he just wants bodies in case another injury happens, if, if he can find someone he relies on. It's a tough position to call any young defenseman into, but that's why they're they're paid the big bucks. On the other side, it was good to see Dunback. I think he makes a huge impact for them. The Blues have had some roster uh, adjustments. We saw Sanford get big minutes and, and really perform on a second-line role. The defense has been in flux. What do you think, Tyler, works the best for this Blues roster? Who should they go with in these crunch time games? Yeah, I mean, Stanford, is, he he played really well last game. I think he'll be in again game five. Um, Sunquist missing game three was a big loss. I mean, he's a guy who's just doing everything out there, hitting anybody in his side. So he's a guy you got to have energy-wise. And it sounds like Bartuzo is going to be back in tomorrow night, I think, for uh, either Edmondson or Gunnarsson. I forget which one it was, but it sounds like he's going to be back in. But Dunn was a difference maker last game, too. I mean, he's he's got some skill, offensive skills we don't have on the blue line. So having him out there for the power play and with the top line, it's a big deal for the Blues. Yeah, defensively, you know, I know he had the game-winning goal, Gunnarsson, in game two. I've never really been, I would say, a huge fan of his. I know he can do certain things. I think it's just a testament of the depth on the Blues' blue line. I would probably bring I would bring Bartuzzo in for Edmondson. I think I'd make that move. Pareko, obviously Petrangelo and Dunn are, are locks as is Bowmeister, who's still giving him some backline depth. But it's a good problem to have that you can roll six defensemen and and really, I mean, Petrangelo is the only full on workhorse playing close to thirty minutes a game. Yeah, uh, Bowmeister is the one. I mean, I think you know from being in St. Louis, he's kind of been the scapegoat for years. There's always one. There's, there's always and, one player. And he, he's actually been very solid in the playoffs. I mean, there's not many of the plays where you look and go, what the heck was that guy doing? I mean, he's been he's been playing as well as I think he's ever played in St. Louis. 
Yeah, the thing about him, like we talked about it, there's always one player that in St. Louis is a scapegoat, and it's usually a defenseman. But the difference is he's not slow, even at his age. He has some issues. He can be a little weak on his skates at times, weak, weak in front of the net, but he's not slow. He can, he can skate. And I think this, is a, this has been a great job for him, revitalizing uh, the, the final years, we assume, of his career. Offensively, I just wanted to say a couple of things about the boost towel. We should really appreciate what game four was because I think it was clearly the game of Ryan O'Reilly's life. I can't remember him looking better in what I've seen, especially given the, the stakes that were at hand. Just an unbelievable performance by him. Yeah, I didn't even know he was that fast. He's never no. really stuck out all year. I mean, obviously he's a very talented offensive player, but he was everywhere, beating everyone to every puck. I mean, I don't know what happened, but he's turned it up another gear, which they're going to need the rest of the way. Yeah, they are. And and really, the other reason I think the Blues are in this position, we, we know guys like Tarasenko are stepping up. Schwartz has counted on a lot, and he's elevated his games in the game in the playoffs but certain players are taking on their roles and just doing well you mentioned a guy like Sunquist and even even Alex Steen who is basically a grind line player at this point but still is is attacking that role and succeeding in it I mean we've seen a lot of players in the NHL get asked to take lesser roles and they pout they won't do it their liability is out there I gotta give Steen credit that hasn't been the case with him yeah, absolutely. And Steen's a perfect example. He, he's a guy who's normally first or second line guy, and he's basically going out there and grinding it out with the fourth line. But they've been successful, and they've contributed as well. And Sammy Blaze is another one who, coming up, he was a skilled player. He wasn't a grinder. And I think there was an interview with Ruby that told him if he ever wanted to see the ice this year, he's going to have to learn <laughs> how to play like a third or fourth liner. So guys like that who are young, you know, it's, you kind of expect it from a Steen who he probably knows this is his last chance to win one, but a guy like Blake who is very young in his career and he's having to kind of play a role he's never played in his life is pretty impressive. And kind of speaks to Baruby as well, how he knows how to motivate his guys. Do you think we see Thomas again this series? I know he didn't play last last series or last game. Has been you know super young, but do you think there's a place for him in the lineup these next couple games? Uh, I, I think it's all dependent on health. I think supposedly it's his wrist that's banged up pretty bad. So I would say maybe a game seven, but outside of that, it doesn't sound too likely. And I think with Stanford having a good game last game too, you know, if you know Thomas isn't 100%, I think it makes that decision easier. Right. I mean, the guy that played other than Blaze, I mean, Maroon didn't play that much, but you probably keep a guy like him in the lineup for what he can do, get in front of the net. Grind, grind out yeah. a little more. So, yeah, I don't know if we do. Uh, it's unfortunate because he was great in Game Six against San Jose, but we'll see. There's at least two, maybe three more games left in this series, Tyler. And the other side of this coin is what Boston can do in their net has been Tuukka Rask, and he's been the scapegoat for the Bruins a lot, like like Bo Meester has in some ways for the Blues. I actually think he's played pretty solid this series. I know last game the Blues win, there was maybe a play he could make on that last goal, but. I think he's played pretty solid. He hasn't been the reason one way or the other. And a lot like Bennington, maybe he hasn't played his best, hasn't stolen a game, but he's done pretty adequate for Boston. Yeah, no, I think he's been great. And, I, I mean, honestly, I would say he's probably outplayed Bennington through the first four games at this point. But, yeah, I, I don't know if the Bruins could ask for much more from him. And I really think that's going to be the difference in the series is which one of those guys can steal one of these last three games. Because I don't think a goalie's stolen one yet in these four. The thing that makes this series so interesting is, is, well, two things. One is what you just said, is that each of these goalies has such a high ceiling. The floor might be a little lower than most elite goalies because we've seen that they can have some bad games. But, yeah, they they have this playoffs. They've stolen games and, and really won it for their team. But the other side of this, too, is the depth on both teams up front I, I fully expect and, and am prepared to see a team score with lines one to four throughout each game. And it's kind of cliche, but it doesn't usually happen this time of year. You have your third and fourth lines that are just get the puck out of the zone, make sure you're not scored against. But Boston's been been great with Corelli, who's been phenomenal. Nordstrom's been good. And, and Charlie Coyle, who has been probably the Bruins' best forward, not just this series, but probably the whole playoffs. Yeah. Yeah, Coyle and Nordstrom both, I feel like, have played. They're like two guys you just notice whenever they're on the ice. And 
Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's it always seems like it's gonna <laughs> it could come down to a third or fourth liner that's gonna score the game winning goal in this series. It's just that's how it usually goes. So. Yeah, hopefully it's not David Backus, right? Because that would be. Isn't it interesting how quick they turn? Like how quick, honestly, have the fans gone from being like, "Oh, that's our captain," to just screw this guy. He's part of the. Oh, enemy. they hate him. He's probably the most hated Bruin right now. I think everybody figured it would be Marshawn coming into the series, but he's just been so irrelevant. No yeah. one's even really paid any attention to him. Yeah, and the way Backus plays, I had a feeling this would happen. Maybe not as fast, but the way he plays, and that's what made him lovable in St. Louis, is just being a pest and getting right in the grill of the opponent. Uh, hasn't played too much, but when he's out there, yeah. you know it. You, you definitely know it one way or the other. Yeah. I also I also have to say, just I know a, a big moment of the series for everybody involved was Brett Hall's performance before Game 4. Yeah, he had a Brett Hall had a big night before at Game Four. Before and after, during, yeah, yeah, yeah. He 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 didn't miss a beat, but yeah, he did his best Ric Flair impression to get the get the stadium fired up for the game. I just wonder how many people that casually followed hockey that are a little older are just thinking that was the guy who scored seven hundred plus goals. Really? <laughs> yeah. Apparently he played in a charity golf tournament all day, so I bet that might have something to do with it. Wow, just incredible. Well, I'm looking at the rest of this series, Tyler. I'm thinking that I, I honestly think both teams are going to hold serve and we're going to get a seventh game. That's that's where I see things right now. I don't know if you feel Blues win the next two or Boston closes out early, but... I think the way it's going, there really hasn't been a lot of rhythm in this series. It's been kind of disjointed, which is because of the physicality. But I see it going to a seventh game. Yeah, that's I'm in the same spot. Obviously, most people in St. Louis are saying Blues at six because I think they want <laughs> the next game here. But I don't know. I kind of like the Blues' chances. I, I honestly feel like the next two games, the away team might win, and then it's going to go back to Boston. Interesting. Now, I do want to address one of those things you just said. The irrational confidence of St. Louis sports fans. That's kind of foreign <laughs> to me. You'll have to explain that a little more. I have never seen people this. Usually with the Blues, everyone expects the worst. But this year, it is a different situation. Every, I think just from how the season's way of going from dead last to making the playoffs and having Bennington being pretty much lights out for the second half of the year. It's just, it's a strange confidence I have never seen Blues fans have before. It's incredible. Uh, And I do think that that has to do with how the season's gone. Just everything's gone right, so why not expect it to continue given all the adversity they faced early, maybe got out of the way. If the road teams win the next two games, I think there's going to be a lot less optimism for the Blues in seven if they squander a chance to close out. That's just me. But if they win a game six yeah. in an elimination game, then they're still feeling a little better. But I picked the Blues in seven. I'm going to stick with it. Um, but I'm going to stay away from directly uh, directly saying why that is because this is a coin flip series, as I said from the start. Yeah, it's it's going to be great. I yeah, I, it's going to come down to goaltending. Goaltending and taking penalties. I think is going to be the two keys. Yeah, not much more to say than that. And ultimately, maybe staying a little healthy. That's uh, that's the last thing. Right. But we're all looking forward to it. And obviously, I think I speak for the rest of the country outside of Boston when I say, "Let's go Blues!" And end this reign of terror. <laughs> Boston sports definitely don't need another championship. But Tyler, this was fun. Uh, I do want to mention a couple of things before I let you go about the other sport we usually talk about, football. Uh, what have you been thinking? Who has really impressed you most in this new QB uh, beer drinking, beer chugging challenge? <laughs> well, I almost got to go with Patrick Mahomes because I was at the game it happened on. But it is pretty hilarious how Aaron Rodgers is just getting destroyed at this point. So great. It's like they all do it just to spite him now. Like everybody outside of Brady. Yeah has done it after the fact. Stafford did it the night of at a restaurant. I mean, it's right. just, it's comedy. And, uh, yeah, not a good look for Aaron Rodgers. It'd be great to see the text messages sent from those guys to him about it. It's gotten to a point now where if you're a quarterback and you go to a public arena or a game, you better be prepared to chug a beer because that's just the, the precedence there. Yeah, and you better do it well, too, or else you're going to get shredded. <laughs> 
No, no kidding. It's uh, it's pretty incredible. I'm also getting used to this new uh, newfound dilemma of the Browns having uh, high expectations. It's a lot more drama now than normally at minicamp. Everyone's just happy to be there. Now it's uh, we're guys demanding trades like Duke Johnson, OBJ. Is he going <laughs> to play or not? So this is a new environment for the Browns. I got to get used to it. Yeah, no, I think I think the Browns are probably one of the most hyped up teams in preseason that everybody's excited about this year. Yeah, I really, and, I, and I think it's one of those things where I don't think anybody would be surprised if they went twelve and four, eleven and five, or if you know they went six and eight. I don't think anybody <laughs> or eight and eight. I'm sorry, I don't think anybody would be surprised. Yeah, that nine and a half win total is a little scary for me. Uh, I think it's a great job by Vegas just dangling that carrot, but I'm not gonna do anything with it given my rooting interest. So. We'll see. The schedule has a really tough middle, but the last month of the season, the last month and a half, is kind of easy. So, if the Browns can be honestly about you know five and five, seven, seven and five, I'd say right around there, I think they can go on a win streak down the year. But yeah, yeah. It's, they got a lot of primetime games now too, so that's going to be. I, I think they're going to be the most entertaining team in the league this year. Yeah, yeah, they certainly are. Uh, you know, the rest of the NFL is just kind of fascinating because. I'm just curious to see what happens with a lot of these QB musical chairs we saw in the offseason. Who fits, who doesn't, which rookies play early. The QB is always the, the position that you look at with the most intrigue. And I think this year, a lot of moves were made. A lot of people stuck their jobs on the line of uh, either rookie or uh, kind of veteran middle and QBs. Yeah, I think the, the interesting veteran ones, obviously, I think Flacco and uh, Foles, how those ones play out. And then I think everybody's very curious to see how Kyler Murray does as well. Yeah, and, and you know I would say the the year two with Baker Mayfield, who we mentioned, Sam Darnold, in, in for the Jets is another one to see if those guys continue to improve. What do we see from Lamar Jackson this year? Well, they won the division last year. People have already forgotten that, and with a with an offense that was basically the wishbone. So, I mean, what, what's going to happen? Yeah, now? I I just worry with him just getting hurt I mean he runs so much and he's not a very big guy it's just that one would worry me because he's not he's kind of a different runner too he takes some big hits you know like a guy like Vic he was very good at avoiding the monster hits and he still had health issues he I don't know that one would worry me if I was a Ravens fan yeah, it's going to be something. I mean, the the rookies, you always wonder if and when, who, who the first one to play would be, other than Kyler, obviously. Will Haskins get his chance? What about Jones and Eli? Uh, that That's something I can't wait to watch. Once If Dwayne Haskins turns out to be a good QB, you know the Giants and their fans are going to be just ruthless to the owners and, and management. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Josh Allen, too, is another one that if he turns out to be really good, <laughs> Kingsbury could be... <laughs> could be in trouble there if Kyler Murray doesn't pan out. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Uh, and, and, you know, of course, the other fun subplot in the NFL who's looking for a position is the Bears looking for a kicker because they're just trying <laughs> everything. I think we could try out if we wanted to. Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious how they're going to be this year after having such a great defense last year if they can keep that going. Three NFC North teams with win total over-unders and double digits, so. They could all hit it, but it's very unlikely. So that there's going to be a yeah. team that, that takes a step back. I mean, Green Bay didn't make it. You know, had the Rodgers injury last year. They might. They're not a lock. I know they have a new coach who injured himself playing basketball. But other than that, I mean, we'll, <laughs> we'll see what happens. And the Vikings with Kirk Cousins could be a prime team for a step back as well. Yeah, and then you got the Jets who fire their GM after the draft. That's an interesting move. <laughs> Just go the, the new GM, the new management has to win with somebody else's player so that's interesting but we'll have to yeah. see what we'll have to see what happens tower this was a blast thanks for coming on good luck obviously with everything and the st louis blues in their quest for their first stanley cup thanks for coming on the money mitch effect thanks for having me Mitch. appreciate it All right, huge thanks to both Gassie and Dunn and Tyler Tesson. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. And a reminder that you can catch every episode of The Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, if it's still called that. I believe it is on Windows, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Just search Money Mitch Effect. Pops right up. 
Check me out on Twitter, MoneyMitchM21, and check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page. Next week, we'll be recapping some tennis, some hockey, and also breaking down the NBA Finals. 2-1 Raptors. Will the Warriors get their injured players back? A lot to digest there as well. Thanks for listening to the Money Mitch Effect. As always, this is Mitch Michael signing off. Reminder, keep enjoying sports.